Welcome to Rebranding Branding, Discover Your Brand Mojo, hosted by brand strategist and provocateur, Darren Taylor. In my nearly 20 years working as a brand strategist, it's, it's always surprised me how few business leaders really understand what brand is and how it can be used to drive great culture and performance. Sadly for many, brand is a massive missed opportunity. Rebranding Branding is a provocative podcast inspiring you to take your brand from beige to bold. It defines what brand is and the role it can play to take an organization from good to great. Today, we have a fabulous guest, Julie Weldon, who is the manager, managing director of Jaw Communications. Welcome, Julie. Hi, Darren. It's fabulous to have you and um, welcome to, uh, to our fabulous uh, podcast. I'm looking forward to a wonderful conversation. Fabulous. Um, the kettle's on, so as soon as um, it starts to boil, I'll, I'll make sure I pour you one. That um, would be great. So, <laughs> good. It's it's that time of the morning. So, Julie, we've met recent, only recently, probably about uh, 12, 18 months ago, through the X Factor Collective, which is a, an extraordinary community of consultants that we're, we're both part of, um, who uh, are, are about um, helping social change makers do good in the world. And uh, so it was great to meet you as, as, as part of that, uh, that forum. Yeah, likewise, it's a fantastic collaboration of very, very skilled practitioners. So I'm honoured to be part of it and great to meet new people like you. Yeah, fantastic. So, so tell me about what you do yourself as a as a as a as a communicator, and and why you're so passionate about it. So everyone communicates every day, and you know, so people think that it's not that hard, right? Well, actually, people are are really wrong. Good communication really actually isn't all that easy. It's a science as much as an art, and so it's about knowing the right words, the right tone, choosing the right channels. You know, all those sorts of things uh, I do take some skill and uh, you know, it's one of those things that we've found there's so many organisations that are doing great things that no one hears anything about, especially in the social purpose sector, but, but there's small businesses and large ones too. So we basically are focused on unleashing the power of communication to ensure that those right messages get to the right people at the right time. Because frankly, whatever you do, whatever your message, there's never been a better time to actually try and get that message out and never been more opportunity to do it. Mm. Yeah. And um, we've had the, the privilege of, of working on a couple of things together. And I must say, seeing you at work, it's it's uh, it's great. And you certainly do live up to that um, uh, the practice of, of employing art and science to your work and uh, you're, you're certainly very uh, very good at the craft so um, it's 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 been um, a privilege to 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 see you in action so um, what why are you really passionate about it though I guess I've seen so many times where it actually goes wrong and the things that can happen particularly from an employee communications perspective when people actually don't get communications right. Um, you know, that we've got situations like this uh, at the moment where there's so much uncertainty around COVID. That's not the first time that there's been that kind of uncertainty in business. It, it'll, it's happened now, it's happened in the past, it'll happen again. People have been losing their jobs, businesses have had to change. There's some examples just within this recent time where we've seen organisations do it incredibly poorly. People just getting a text to say, okay, um, we're closing, you've lost your job there's a much better way to communicate that kind of news, which is life-changing news for someone uh, without, um, you know, without necessarily going over the top. 
but you do actually need to give some of those things some thought that, you know, in contrast, there's been some great examples of where people have really effectively used communication to actually, you know, share that kind of bad news. Uh, my university is about to go through a series of, or the university I'm an alumni of, is about to go through a series of significant changes, closing campuses, um, you know, something landed in my inbox this week, which was such a great example of how they proactively are communicating ahead of the game in their communications to try to actually stop all the unnecessary noise that they know will come, but by proactively putting the facts out about what they're doing and why they're doing. Um, that's a great example of, of where you can actually proactively use communication to really support what you're doing and really strengthen your brand. Like I have a much higher regard for that business's brand now, having seen that, than I perhaps did you know, in the past. And this change of leadership and all sorts of things that have been involved in that as well. But it's it's really starting to live their brand, which I know is you know, your kind of core call to action is really you know, making sure that brands are synonymous all through their experience. And I think that's absolutely critical from internal to external as well. Yeah, that, that, it's interesting you say that because I, um, when we were talking about um, the, the, the topic for today, um, I think we, we both have seen the importance of, of good communication um, and in this case, internal communication during uh, a, a time of crisis. And it, and, it, and it really comes to the surface, you know, um, um, the, the, the capability of an organisation to communicate well, <clears throat> um, and that's a spectrum, <laughs> um, during this time is, 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 is so critical and, it, and, it, and it's, uh, uh, it, it really... Um, um, uh, it's really shone a, shone a spotlight on it. But before we get into that, can you just tell us a little bit about your background? And I know you've got quite a, um, uh, a stellar corporate career um, that, um, that that you draw, draw from on your work. Do you want to just talk about that briefly? Yeah, absolutely. I've been extremely privileged to have worked with some fantastic people. And even those that weren't fantastic, I've learned a lot from. Um, I started my career, I'm a country girl, come from a sheep and cattle property in country Queensland and so I always thought that I'd somehow end up working in agriculture, which is exactly what I did, started my first degree, uh, um, first role straight after uni where I did accounting and HR, was extremely lucky to get a role um, and worked in, in that um, particular industry for, a, I don't know, maybe the better part of five years or so, one way or another, um, was my, really my first introduction to the, the importance of internal communications. So I think within about two weeks of starting, the organisation went through a massive restructure. So I got to actually see the good and the bad, but that was a, a you know, they were laying off people that had been working in the, um, in the grain industry for more than 50 years, some of them. So there was a lot of change that, that needed to be communicated. Um, in hindsight, I, I would suggest we would do it very differently now, but it was a great, you know, a great learning experience. So then made my way into agri, um, agri politics, which was really my first um, experience of branding. So bringing a couple of organisations together, I still look very fondly. The logo that I was part of developing is actually still there and the ethos of the organisation is still very much the same. They're doing a great job of living their brand. Uh, and the, then we finally went overseas and I was really lucky to work in a diverse range of, of FTSE 100 companies. Um, don't quite know how I got the role being this little girl from working in a not-for-profit to suddenly working in some, some of the largest listed organisations in, in the world. 
and that was brilliant because I worked in both um, internal communications and external communications. So that was fantastic. Um, did that for seven or eight years living in London, loved it. And then it was time to come back to Australia. And so I ended up working in the banking industry for a while before um, making the transition into my own dual communications, which I did in 2011. Wow, so it's it's quite a um, um, a rich a rich um, background that you draw from. So um, that's that's great. Thanks for sharing that. So let's get down to um, tin tax. So how would you define brand? I'm really interested in this. For me, brand is both something that's tangible and it's intangible. You know, the tangible thing is the you know the look, the colours, the logo, the word mark. Um, but really, it's, it's for me, it's what it actually, what a brand says about what you stand for. And that's where I guess it's that mix of intangible and tangible things. So you, know, you might say it's the vibe of the thing. You know, it's the values, the behaviours, the choices you make as an organisation that to me really define what a brand is. Um, I remember actually when I first learned about brand houses when I was at uni and it actually it made so much sense to me. I don't know which particular model you do. I know that there's lots of different brand models that you can use, but the brand house kind of concept made so much sense to me because it was built up. It really is about building up that component of parts. You know, there's one bit has to fit on top of another, on top of another, and then it finally reveals, you know, the house finally reveals its its shape. And then I kind of, I suppose, I think of it as the way that it's um, decorated, it's cloaked in particular colours and designs, you know, but a lot of people go immediately just to that colour and the, the design side of it. But for me, it's much deeper than that. It's probably not any kind of brand model that you talk about it. But um, yeah, for me, I, I don't know, that was, that I guess is how I think of it, is that um, tangible and intangible elements of it that really makes up what you think and feel about an organisation or a person or a product even. Actually, the, the first brands I really remember, because it was interesting when I, you know, when we started talking about this conversation, the first brands I really remember are probably not brands that you would have ever heard of, but they're, you know, I said I come from a sheep and cattle background and grew up in the days where we had the ABC and no commercial television, so I didn't really get exposed to advertising. So the brands that I saw were on products that came into mum and dad's business. So it was, you know, sheep drench and... Um, brands like Ivermectin and um, shearing equipment like Lister. I have, I, it still gives me feelings and associations of that. And, and then there were the stock and station agents, you know, the people that help you buy and sell your cattle or buy and sell your wool. Um, there were two very strong competing companies and, you know, the blue shirts and the pink shirts were associated with two totally different brands. And interestingly, as I look back now, they had really different um, different brand propositions and you know the guys from the blue shirt company were one particular style of person and the guys from the pink shirt company were another completely different style of person and so that brand for, for particularly for the pink shirt brand their, their brand really was embodied through everything from the way they dealt with you to the way that they presented themselves and, you know, it was really interesting. Maybe that was really my start of my fascination with brand was really thinking back at, and also that as I grew older to really understand that um, it, it really it does come down from what that internal communication aspect is because no one tells plays you. A key, plays a key yeah, role. Absolutely. It yeah. absolutely does. If, if people don't get inducted the right way, they don't know what mm. those expectations are of how you bring that brand to life. 
Yeah, well, um, I really there's a couple of points um, that you made there. I think are, 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 are really great. Um, um, I've never heard that a brand being described as the uh, as 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 a cloak, and I think that's um, that's um, um, beautiful and eloquent um, for you to say. So <clears throat> it's not um, not surprising that you're a you're a, you're a master words wordsmither. Um, so, <laughs> um, but interesting that you point out, you know, some time ago these brand moments you had and the the simplicity and the and the the clarity of um, single mindedness of certain colours and how that endures time. Um, the 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 thoughts and feelings associated with it. That's great. I hope you are enjoying today's podcast. Do you know if your brand is aiding or abetting you? Why not take our free health check today? Go to rebrandingbranding.com.au forward slash health check. Simply fill in the form and we will send you your results. Can we just talk about your work in internal communications and and what, why do people seek your help and what kind of organisations seek your help in this area? Um, and... I often get um, asked, um, you know, in our work, whether <clears throat> is there a minimum size of organisation should be communicating. So do you want to just talk to, uh, to, to, to some of that? Yeah, we're really lucky. We get to work with the full spectrum of organisations from listed companies that are household names to privately owned consultancies and, and small professional services organisations. Uh, right through to the, the work that we, we've done together in the social sector, uh, you know, not-for-profits, uh, social enterprises, the whole spectrum of, of those kinds of organisations. Uh, and we're also incredibly lucky, and partly it comes from my fascination of not wanting to do exactly the same thing every day, day in, day out. I get fascinated by working in different industries and different companies. So uh, we also work across the full spectrum of communication, from internal communication through to external and, um, and for me, that makes sense because I don't think you can ever completely divorce internal and from external communication. What you say to the external world needs to be consistent with what you say in the internal world. And so, you know, kind of from an internal perspective, clients come to us for a range of things, from developing a, an integrated communication strategy that picks up both their internal and external messaging, um, to, for example, we did a, an audit of uh, internal communications for a bank not so long ago, looking at all the different ways that they complete, uh, that they communicate to their employees. Um, and that actually informed us doing some work on guiding them on their structure and giving some suggestions on their structure. But for other organisations, we just come in and out on a particular project. It could be rolling out a new strategy or it could be uh, relocating from one building to another. It, it could be just launching a particular campaign or a particular project, either just to staff like a, a new kind of benefits campaign or a values campaign, those sorts of things. Um, it really, really is very broad. And for others, you know, sometimes we just pop in and out and do an annual report and, and um, you know, that's the contact that we have that's with that organisation. Yeah. Um, but so wherever I... we start, sorry, Dan, wherever we start, we, we really try to make sure that whatever is being said internally aligns to what's being said externally because you really can't divorce them. Mm. Why, why do you think that's so imperative? Well, employees are your biggest asset, but they can also be your biggest attractor. They're, the, they're closest to your business and, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a team of three or four or five people or, you know, some of the largest organisations in Australia that employ 50, 60, 70,000 people, 
those people are your brand ambassadors one way or another and they we all know about that six degrees of separation piece it doesn't i don't think that there's six degrees of separation anymore so even the smallest um, number of employees still have an inordinate influence on the perceptions about your organisation and what you do and what you say. And if you're acting in one way internally and presenting to the market externally in another way, you'll be found out very, very quickly. So that consistency is absolutely critical. Yeah, I think that's um, <clears throat> that's a really good segue to, to, to COVID because... Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. COVID clearly uh, presents some some unique opportunities and needs to communicate uh, through internal communications and and um, in in the respect that your staff are your um, <clears throat> are your walking billboards. They, um, as you say, they're perpetuators of and creators of of reputation. Um, within the organisation and, and outside. Um, and I think we've seen some, you know, examples and certainly heard of many examples where um, difficult messages haven't been delivered perhaps um, on brand or in, in a, um, a favourable way and that's had negative impacts. So can you just talk, I'd be really interested to get your views on, on, on what are the sort of key needs and opportunities for internal communications during this time? And it is a very unique time. It is a very unique time, um, but and I would argue, I guess, that employee communication is more important than, and more critical than ever. And it doesn't matter uh, whether you normally have everyone working in the same place or whether you normally work as a distributed organisation or a remote team of remote working people. There's still a lot of the same concerns, and and people are really uncertain. You know, personally, they don't know how they're coping with schooling their children at home. Or even if they don't have children, how are their parents coping? How are their family and friends coping um, financially? You know, it's a lot of people have sustained significant financial impact. And, and no one knows how long any of this situation is going to go on for. So this is really a chance to bring your brand to life for your people. As, and I'm focusing particularly on employee communication at the moment. You really need to make sure that people that work for you really understand you know how you're presenting whatever it is you're saying to the market and whether you're a restaurant that's you know closed down completely but you know hopefully will come back at the end of this or whether you know, if you're a restaurant that's adapted to actually becoming a, a corner store and, and providing takeaway meals you really need to make sure that your employees know first and foremost what it means for them but then also what is your offering and being able to make sure that your employees know exactly what it is that you're presenting to the market you know some of the casual stuff at my local coffee shop is still around but there's a lot that aren't and you kind of ask one you know different people on different days you get different uh different kind of explanations as to what the business is doing or how they're responding what they're you know what they're they're uh, expectations are of being able to run the way that they're currently running at the moment and that inconsistency it's fine because i kind of know them and i know the owner and i know what what her plans actually are but it's presenting different mixed messages to you know to other people so coming back to the organizations that tend to be much more um, online you know now working remotely i think it's really critical to make sure that you actually it can actually demonstrate tangibly to your employees 
that you care about them. So, you know, there's a lot of different things that people need to be considering, you know, right from is the infrastructure that people have got at home right for them? You know, do they have a decent chair and a table and, you know, do they have that internet? There's that practical stuff. But they need to know what the plans are for the organisation. How are they still likely to get uh, the same kind of performance and development opportunities? Um, you know, uh, is the organisation got a future? You know, I know that was certainly some of the questions we got as soon as you know things started to get a, a little bit hairy around that Friday the thirteenth date uh, in March. You know, that was one of the first questions we got was, "Are we going to be okay?" You know, do I? What's this going to mean for me? So finding ways to continue to communicate with your employees just as you normally would, as much as you can. So if you had your regular, regular scheduled one-to-ones with staff, keep doing that. If the MD sent a, a weekly update, keep doing that. If you didn't do any of those sorts of things, you should be introducing them because people will easily lose their sense of confidence, lose their sense of being able to actually stay aligned and stay focused on what they're doing. And, and if they can't balance all of their work commitments with their home commitments, you need to be giving them the chance to actually say that. And so, you know, you as an organisation can work around that. Yeah. What's your view? I, I noticed that you, you you didn't specifically mention in, 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 in that um, conversation about, uh, you know, newsletters and actual more structured uh, communications and, you know, um, were you deliberately... Um, preferencing more personal face-to-face -face or at least you know through 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 uh through technology that sort of more visceral contact deliver these kinds of messages i think you need to be doing both uh and i guess that's what i was trying to get to with you know if you regularly send out an, an email or a newsletter um continue to do that if you continue if you regularly or normally put information on the internet continue to do that people need to understand uh what it is that the business is doing, what the expectations are of them. And some people will respond differently. So some people hate being in front of a camera. It doesn't matter whether it's, you know, just having their photo taken at a, at a function or a family family event even. So thinking too about we've all suddenly, you know, every day is a video conference. They, that was a rarity in my world and I pr work predominantly remotely with most of my clients, but it's interesting that now all of them are also working from home. They really want that face-to-face -face virtual conversation, which we often would have just done on the phone. So it's also about adapting to what's going to work for each individual. And I think that's probably the key point that I was trying to make. You can't necessarily do that if you're an organisation of 30 or 40 or 50,000, but every one of those individuals has a manager who you know, hopefully wouldn't have any more than 20 or 30 people working through to them you should still be able to have those one-to-one -one conversations with them just like you you know just like you would have um, but don't forget too that your leaders will be this is all new for them too and so making sure that that leader communication um, is probably something that i would advocate ramping up in this particular time of uncertainty because the, those leaders would normally have had their own regular scheduled meetings with the ceo or their managing director or general manager which is how they would have stayed across you know day-to-day -day stuff and had it as a, an opportunity for engaging but you need so you need that that direct um, personalized communication that you talked about but you still also need to keep that broader infrastructure as much as you can. You know, I realise a lot of organisations have lost staff and, and may not actually be able to do that. But as much as you can, keep that 
infrastructure that people are used to, the ways that they're used to receiving information, keep that in place as best as you can. And frankly, I think you can't over communicate at this point because people will read so much into the silence, so much into the vacuum. Even if that silence was normal, I think people will be reading much more into it, particularly as we start to hear more stories of, you know, businesses closing or um, large household names, you know, not being able to secure the funding that they need to keep them through. Uh, this very tough situation. I think people will start to make up their own reality, and they, unless you intervene, you don't tell them. You know, that you give them no other reason to think that. Yeah, that's. I think that's. that's there's some very wise words there. Uh, how does brand and internal communications intersect? And <clears throat> do you think uh, brand can be used as an anchor for for internal communications? Absolutely, and and I would say that now more than ever is a time for people to really go back to the essence of what their brand's about, both in their internal communications, but also in their external communications. You know, frame. You've got a real opportunity in this times of uncertainty for organisations slash brands to really shape their narrative really strongly to stand out for all the right reasons instead of for the wrong reasons. So you know, for me, brand is very strongly anchored in the values of an organisation. And when it comes to employee communication, they should be a guide for how you're interacting with your employees. I can't tell you the number of organisations that have trust and honesty and transparency as part of their <laughs> uh, values statement. Now more than ever is the time for that to actually come to the fore. Uh, respectful respect is another one that's in there again respect people's situations their time I, I would strongly use it as a um, as an anchor and if you're lucky enough to have one of those brands where fun for example is an anchor of, of your brand then you know leverage that too we've I've seen some great examples of organizations just you know, thinking laterally about how they do that either in their uh, external communications about what's happening within their organization the way they're messaging that but flowing that through to staff as well you know sending them care packs around easter with little white rabbit ears and and making it compulsory mm. to wear that as at the staff check-in for example and, and i think like just that, just on that if i that culture yeah i was just going to say julie um and uh, you know we've seen a lot on linkedin of where you know those internal moments have been made public to demonstrate, you know, this is this is how we do things around here, which is reinforcing um, that that internal that internal um, um, moments more 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 broadly. Yeah, yeah, it's great. So, <clears throat> um, so it's time to sort of dust off those uh, those brand strategies that have been um, gathering dust, bring them out, um, and make them uh, a cornerstone to to uh, all of your communications, whether it's face to face or or um, in a more structured way. <clears throat> yeah, so I couldn't agree more, Darren. I think it's really, really important to actually keep bringing everyone because it brings everyone back to your purpose. Your brand should absolutely be aligned to your purpose. And now of, of all times, organisations are being forced to really go back to basics. And your brand, your brand strategy and your brand, uh, your brand approach, your brand statements, they should really be guiding points and, and used to inform your internal communication strategy and your external for that matter. 
Mm. And as and as the old adage says, you know, you learn a lot about people in a crisis. You learn a lot about brands in a crisis. Um, so I think this is playing out. So I think that's some very good um, uh, wise words there. So whose job is it to own internal communications in an organisation? I find this a, um, an interesting question. I'm laughing on the inside because, um, you know, on the few moments that we've worked together in, and certainly um, um, in other uh, contexts, there's sometimes a bit of a, a tussle as to whose job it is to to own it within an organisation. And I'm going to be controversial and say ultimately it's everyone's <laughs> job. There you go. Good. Yeah, yeah. Because if a communication is by its very nature, it's a two-way thing. And quite often in organisations, communication is one way. It's only seen as top-down. And employees say, oh, but no one ever tells us anything. We don't know anything. Uh, it's, it's everyone's job. If you're not hearing the messages that give you the clarity that you need, you need to be asking and asking that. And your manager needs to ask further up the, up the train. Um, but ultimately, I, I, you know, if, if you kind of were to keep pushing me, ultimately it has to sit with CEO because they have to set the direction of, and, and they really should be the ultimate embodiment of the culture of the organisation. So, you know, functionally it might sit in HR or it might sit in marketing or, you know, it, I've even been in organisations where it sits in strategy. Um, but ultimately, you know, in terms of whose job is it to own it, it really does come down to being everyone's responsibility. If you're sitting on a brilliant good news story and you don't tell anyone else about it as the, you know, the guy on the front line who, you know, the, got the biggest smile ever from the little kid, like the Australia Post, that fabulous example where uh, some, there was an Australia Post employee who someone left a message or an Easter egg or something for them and they wrote back and posted that, wrote back to the, to the child. That was such a great good news story at a time when we all needed good news stories. But the only way that came to, to light was someone internally actually pushing that further up the chain. Um, so those sorts of stories, you know, it is the good news and the bad news that people need to share. So, yeah, I think that's a very, I think that's a very good point because there are so many uh, beautiful stories that that aren't told, and you know, I think that's a, it's, it's it's everyone's responsibility in an organisation to to bring those to the fore. Um, I think that's um, very well said. So. <clears throat> um, what does an effective internal communications program look like? I mean, it's we're, we're talking about <clears throat> the need for it. We get the need, but but what does it actually look like in in an organisation? I think it looks like a formal plan, a formal document. So that's the uh, and that's not to say that all of the communication is formal, but there needs to be a plan for it. Like anything, there needs to be a strategy for mm. any element of business success. Uh, why, some... why, why do you say that? Why do you say that? I mean, I'm just being deliberately provocative because I, I'd like to make a point of that. <laughs> There's very, very few organisations that have become super successful without some kind of documented plan. There are some where, you know, chance plays its part and, and it kicks in. But like anything, you actually, to make sure that you reach all of your audiences with the right messages at the right times, that you don't have messages competing and speaking over one another 
to ensure that people actually do hear what they really need to hear when they need to hear it, as opposed to what it's nice for them to know. You need to make sure that you have a really clearly articulated plan, no matter whether you're a, a group of five people or you're a group of 50,000 people. The same board principles apply that you actually need to have an overarching plan for how that's going to happen. And that plan could be as simple as, you know, we take a complete free-for-all approach and everyone can message anyone. Probably not going to be the most productive solution, but if that's your plan and that's working for your organisation, fantastic. And in an organisation of three, five, ten people, that might be totally fine. But once you start to get much bigger than that, you do need to have a little bit of structure to how you do that. And again, that structure doesn't need to be super regimented, but I've seen a lot of people moving to using Teams, for example, Microsoft Teams in the last um, couple, well, six weeks, I suppose, in particular. Um, but making sure that you've got really clear channels within that that are the, you know, is my dog looking really funny today or here's a view out my window versus, okay, uh, you know, timesheets need to be in and, and, you know, the things that keep the business moving, I think are really, really critical to just have some guidelines for how messages are communicated, what, what channels you use, who can send them. It's absolutely critical. And, and I would argue more critical during a time of crisis that people know where the authoritative point of, of um, the source of truth, where they go you know, to find out. Because not everyone these days can be on every single call, particularly with the, the influx of people homeschooling and doing all sorts of different things that have different competing pressures. But if there's, for example, one source of truth, I know if I miss that meeting, anything important will be here, wherever, you know, wherever that designated point is. Yeah, can I just ask you a question? I'm sure there are quite a few people that are sitting here thinking, um, if only I'd had a plan, if only I had an internal comms plan for, um, for, for this period. Is, is it too late to Absolutely develop a not. plan? Absolutely and does not. It, you know, what is the bare minimum that you should be doing? I mean, you know, to, de to develop a plan? What are the kinds Start of things? Start communicating right now. <laughs> that's the fundamental thing. Doesn't, you know, people silent, people will fill a vacuum. So the fundamental thing is to start communicating. The next thing I would say is to develop a plan. No matter how formal or informal that is, you actually do need to develop that plan. And that could just be as simple as we're going to have a structured all team meeting, you know, this day, this time at, you know, this particular frequency. And here's the channel we're going to use it. And, or, and the CEO will follow up, you know, once a month with a, an email or perhaps at the moment once a week would be more appropriate, just particularly as people are still adjusting. But, but trial a few things. You know, it may be that all staff face-to-face -face meetings really, really work well at 9 o'clock in the morning in your organisation. For others, that might be the peak time when actual you know, stuff's just hitting, you know, that you really, really need to action from overnight requests from depending on whatever the nature of your organization is but it's certainly not too late to actually start communicating with your staff if in some kind of structured um, structured model and and ultimately it will make people a lot more efficient if you have a structured approach it should reduce the number of emails which i know are the bane of everyone's existence <laughs> but it will also mean mm. and hopefully help in the longer term that those that those emails that do need to be sent that you do need everyone to read really are read so it just it helps with just getting a hierarchy of information through the organization mm. and like with all good strategic planning 
if you've got something on paper, you can review it ongoingly to see whether it's actually working. Um, and so that's <clears throat> and that's um, obviously quite crit critical at the moment. <clears throat> so that's really interesting. So um, at what point do organisations need to seek help from experts? Because you, you've outlined some things that are you know, quite, you know, simple and practical for that people could start or, or, or refine their current approach. Uh, what, at what point do, do, do organisations, you know, um, get to, to, to seek help from, from someone like yourself? It really, really depends. Uh, and, and part of that comes from, it depends on the skill of the people leading the organisation. You, you may actually just have you know, very experienced leaders who are inherently good communicators who actually kind of, you know, even if they haven't formalised a communication plan, they'll have something that they're working toward, some sort of schedule of regular meetings or written updates or, you know, whatever it happens to be. But um, I guess you really just trust your instincts. If you're floundering completely and don't know where to start, that's probably a pretty good in, um, indication that it's a good time to get some expert help. But you know, we, we work with organisations in all different sorts of ways. For some, as I said earlier, we come in and we do a strategy for them, starting with understanding where their business is going and what their competing demands are and what infrastructure they've got and all that sort of thing and, and work with them on messaging and channels and, and you know which particular tools they want to use. Uh, for others, it's just they've got a really tricky situation and they don't quite know how they're going to message it. So, you know, we've been called in a couple of times to help organisations pass on those really tough messages about uh, restructures and changes that people need to make to ways of working. Um, and for others, we, we actually just work as their outsource team and so it's a bit like us being on the end of the phone or joining a a meeting virtual or, or otherwise as you would bring in your internal comms team at, at any time so you know so you're not only um tell, tell uh, in guiding them on how to actually do their communications you're actually doing a lot of it for them yeah absolutely yeah. Okay. And, and that's one yeah. of the things that we really 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 enjoy is the strategy is fantastic and it's really great to actually be involved in doing that but there's nothing like actually being part of an organization and continuing to support them and to see how your how your strategy actually has evolved and being able to bring in a skill set that a lot of people don't have as i said at the start we all communicate day in day out but there is actually it's more of an art and a science than than people realize i think to make it effective mm. and i know you've certainly got that relationship with a number of your clients where um the the, the lines are blurred between um who's the client and who's who's the the agency which is just lovely it's great um so Thank you, Julie. Um, how can people get in touch with you um, to, to talk, talk about internal comms further? Uh, we've got a website, jawcoms.com.au, or just email info at jawcoms.com.au, and I'd be very happy to chat to anyone. You can also find out a little bit about what we do on the X Factor Collective side as well. Um, we're happy to, to do an initial consultation and see whether we can support you in your communication skills. Okay, um, so I might just repeat that. It's jawcoms, J-A-W-C-O-M-M-S dot com dot A-U and the X Factor Collective, um, all one word, dot com. So um, thank you so much, Julie. It's been really, really interesting. I've learned a lot today. So thank you for, um, for, for, for that too. And uh, thank you so much for your time. If you have a burning question or comment, feel free to ping me at talktome at rebrandingbranding.com.au and we'll see you next time.
I hope today's episode of Rebranding Branding, the podcast, blew your hair back. Remember to subscribe to the podcast through your preferred platform. And if you haven't already, don't forget to download your copy of Rebranding Branding, the book, at rebrandingbranding.com.au. See you next time to discover your brand mojo.